Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm Scott Lease, and I'm here with my good friend as usual, Richard Harris. And we are really excited today to talk to Alison Edgar, who is coming to us from the UK, and I believe she's in the town of Bath, which shockingly enough, I have been to and enjoyed. So I've got good, good stories from there. Alison is a uh, keynote and TEDx speaker. She's been a best-selling author. She runs her own business. Her bio is like, I was just telling her, it reads like an Encyclopedia Britannica. And she was twice voted one of UK's top 10 business advisors. So, Alison. so thanks for coming on the show. Oh, no, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Uh, we've obviously met through LinkedIn and it's an honor for you to have me. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. So <clears throat> get us a uh, Get us started here. I mean, how did you get your career going in sales? Were you an entrepreneurial uh, child? Were you, you know, selling lemonade as a kid or Girl Scout cookies and things like that? Or did you just fall into the profession like I did? Richard was kind of a salesman from the start, not me. So I'm curious how you got your start. Um, I think, first of all, was Avon. So I suppose um, we would now call that, you know, multi-level marketing as it is now. Yeah, but yeah. I used to... At 15, thought it was like a, a quick cash. And my mum used to sign the account. So I wasn't allowed at 15 to have my own account. And I'd just go around the neighbours with the Avon book and they would order. And, and then all of a sudden this cash arrived and it's like, whoa. Um, but I think it was later on that I moved into proper sales, if you want to call it that. Um, I le I'm dyslexic. So I left school at 16 because I, I struggled with academia. And I became a hotel receptionist. And it's interesting that I never, ever wanted to work in sales. I thought that I would stay in hospitality. And I worked in um, Sydney for Radisson. I worked for Southern Suns in Cape Town. I spent a little bit of time in the States. And it was when I came back from traveling that I got a job for BT. So British Telecom, as it was at that time, um, opened one of their first call centers. I'm originally from Scotland. And we did DMDR, direct mail, direct response. So they would send out the mail shot and it was my job to, to actually sort of sell. And again, I'm kind of showing my age, guys, but it was at the time where, you know, when you talk to businesses, did they want a pager or a mobile phone? So it was like, and the mobile phones had the aerials and the flips and stuff. So, and, and they sent an incentive when they opened the call center for the first person to make a sale. And I was the first person out of 200 people to make a sale. So I discovered I was quite competitive at that stage. So I think um, having worked for BT, their sales training was phenomenal. And I think that started me on the journey of loving sales. And with my hospitality background, I genuinely believe when it's delivered correctly that sales and customer service is exactly the same thing and I think that's been one of my kind of it's the mission statement of the company and and one of the values that I stick by with everything that I do yeah that that line that you just said about <clears throat> sales and customer service kind of being one and the same um I have have has your experience been of late that more people are starting to agree with you <clears throat> i feel like the line between salesperson and marketer and customer success customer service person are starting to to blur i think the the roles are starting to kind of merge into into one i've never heard somebody say that what you what you just said that they're kind of one and the same so <clears throat> were you maybe just 
really ahead of the game? And, and are you seeing companies, you know, come to your side a little quicker now? Yeah. Oh, of course I was ahead of the game. Um, I think one of the things which is interesting, so I also do customer service training and like, shh, this is our secret. Don't tell anyone else in the whole world. But um, the slide packs are the same. The, the, the content is the same apart from two sections. And I, I kind of prove it at the end. And I talk about the Spice Girls and like I bring up the two slide packs and I go, see, it's like the Spice Girls, two become one. So I think more people are. And again, it's interesting, you know, I, I see there's a cultural, um, like in the UK, this, the sales are, are, it's not, it's a slightly softer model and that without that customer service edge, people don't buy. So I think that sales has definitely evolved, but I think ultimately, you know, you find out what the customer needs and then you match it. And if you, it doesn't match, you're not going to sell it anyway. But to me, I think that's what gives people confidence, especially to um, reach out to people, is to believe that they're you know, delivering a service. And, and by not reaching out, you're actually doing people a disservice because if you can solve their problem or help them, it's your duty to do that as a service provider. What do you... What do you when did you sort of realize that like if you go back in your career and you i mean did you always know it from your sort of knocking on the door avon moment with as a kid or was there sort of this epiphany as you grew up in the business world and how to do these things that you're like oh wait a minute there's really a very strong alignment here no i think i realized from my hospitality background because you know as a front office manager or rooms division manager and food and beverage, you are providing that service. And I think, you know, when I talk about, I made the first sale in the call center, you know, some quarters, I was 3000% a target. And I think people thought because I was dyslexic and I struggle with reading and writing, I couldn't count, but I'm really hot as hell with yeah, numbers. Yeah, and it was, yeah. And I think with that, it, I've always believed that people buy, like people buy people and they buy people like them. But in hospitality, I had to learn to adapt. And in later years, I'm a DISC practitioner. So I get involved a lot with the psychology behind sales. And I think that's what made me really good. And what was interesting was it's okay being good at sales. But when you set up a sales training company to teach other people to be good at sales, you have to know your stuff. And I think that was one of the biggest challenges that even when I was writing the book and, and getting the methodology that I was good at it, but how did I manage to teach other people? And there was a lot of unpicking and that's where fundamentally that's one of the unpicking, you know, um, epiphanies is like, Oh my goodness, this is exactly the same. And I think, although I knew it subconsciously, I think I could, I can now prove it. I literally can prove it. How did you how did you handle you know the challenge that that exists right for people with dyslexia right it often can put them in a either self perceived or by the public put you in this little bucket right and you clearly said no you're not doing that to me right like that's not going to happen for for other people whether it's dyslexia or depression or anxiety or anything what advice do you give to people who who feel like they are sort of put in this bucket, right? How do you encourage that from your own experience? 
So for me, again, I can look back now and I can remember school vividly. I can remember English class and in English class, we used to have to read out a paragraph out loud. And because I really even now struggle to read, it, it made me, I can taste the bile of the nerves of how bad that feeling was. That's how vividly I can reflect. And I think for me, I it reflects in starting work at 16 in hospitality that straight away I knew that I had to find my superpower. I didn't realize that, that like academia was the kryptonite and dyslexia was the superpower. But I tell you what, I can create, and I think it really helps me in sales because where people without dyslexia think quite linearly, they think, oh, this is what I do, this is how I do it. I can, and at the moment, especially, you know, coming through looking at my business, when a lot of businesses are, you know, closing down, a lot of businesses are struggling, I'm booming because I think about things completely differently. I can always find an angle in or a different direction. And that's my superpower. And I think, you know, people that got anxiety or depression, you know, you look at that, people would see that as a negative. And again, I'm writing my second book at the moment. And I think there are ways to overcome that. But I think you've got to find your superpower. If you see your your weaknesses as the kryptonite, then they're always going to be that. But if you can flip it around and go, you know what, I'm dyslexic and I'm proud. And I think one of the things that recently really, um, made me even elevate the superpower higher was before I put on my LinkedIn that I was a dyslexic author. If I would put out a phrase and to me, that looks like a normal sentence, you know, I done grammarly, it looks right. That, that, that's okay. And somebody said, well, I don't know why you're posting that. Are you stupid? You can't even write or you can't even read. And, you know, I'd never want to work with you. And, you know, you can take that as a, a negative, but for me, it's like a, well, actually, that's the reason I can't do this is I'm really good at all these other things, which would be a benefit to you. So I think, uh, you know, highlighting the superpower is never a bad thing to do. And, and I think, you know, one of my favorite girl crushes at the moment is Brene Brown. And she talks about obviously vulnerability and shame and things like that. And I think actually um, it's okay, you know, to be yourself. And I think the word authenticity is kind of overused like it gets milked to bits but it is okay to be yourself and and really elevate your strengths i love that yeah what do you just out of curiosity for you you know you because I, I do the same thing i i have depression and i use that as my superpower what are the things that you think are your strengths even though that's your that was your challenge right like you sort of said hey maybe this is one thing but i can help you here I just I, I want to give people a, a frame of reference to say, oh, yeah, I can still be proud about this, even though I also have this as a part of me. I think it's the not I think it's identifying the things in yourself. So um, like, what am I not great at? Well, do you know what? I'm not highly um, attention to detail. Right. I would say that I'm big picture. I come up with great things. But I think I know that in myself. So I think it's always your self-awareness. So when I recruit, you know, I've got a team of people that work for me. I don't work on my own and I always fill the gaps. Um, sometimes, again, because I'm quite driven, quite focused um, and I am empathetic, but sometimes I know that I can drop the empathy when things need to go at a pace. So I make sure that I've got people around me that actually kick my backside when I'm not doing things that I know that I should be right. So, you know, I, I think it's knowing where the, your weaknesses are 
and saying it's okay to be weak in that area. If I can't do it, you know, you can adapt or you can do something so much, but surround yourself with people who are honest with you, who do, you know, kick your ass when you need it. Like, it's really funny. So I'm married to like my husband and, and, and you know, as Scott said at the beginning, I've done some really cool stuff, right? I've been to Buckingham Palace as a thank you from the Queen. I work with the UK government. I go to 10 Downing Street. You know, I write books, I do TV, I do big radio shows. And sometimes it'd be really easy for my head to be huge, right? And, and whenever it sort of, sort of gets slightly larger, my husband says, I don't think you've emptied the dishwasher yet. And there seems to be like a load of washing in the machine or whatever. And it's like, damn it, you know, I'm right back down to earth. And I think it's keeping, you know, never believe your own hype. Um, but but be fair to yourself, be honest with yourself and, and draw the line. You know, I think it's having a, a as my, my granny would say, give yourself a good talking to <laughs> And, and then that's, that's what helps you move on, whether it's a good talking to to bring you down or bring you up, it doesn't matter. It's having that even keel, I think, that really helps. Yeah. What a, did public speaking come naturally to you or was this something that you really had to, to work on? I'm, I'm really interested in all of the, um, you know, TED Talks and all, all these big kind of engagements that I see on your LinkedIn profile. Um, but I'd love to get into, you know, some, some tips that you might have for people who are delivering trainings or, or uh, talks to larger and larger audiences, right? I mean, Richard and I could use help in, in this particular area. I mean, we're always getting in front of large groups of people and, you know, hopefully we have some of those opportunities again um, here soon. So talk to people who are, you know, maybe nervous about public speaking or getting into it for the first time and was it natural for you or did you have to work on it and what what worked to help you get so good at it so one of the biggest fears is a thing called glossophobia so glossophobia is an actual fear of public speaking so i never it wasn't anything that i really set out to happen and I never, again, when I worked in sales, I, I, did, I wasn't doing sales management. I wasn't doing area management. I was like front row sales. I was cannon fodder every day. So I never really had to speak in front of large groups of people. And I can remember the first time I had to speak, it was my sister's surprise silver wedding. And I didn't want to use the cue cards because I think, again, you know, that's a bit of a crutch. And, and if you're not confident in you, other people will not be confident in you. So I knew that that was a huge thing that I had to learn. So again, I think that's a great thing for the listeners. Um, but because I can't learn like normal people, I learn in pictures. So I had to, when I was going through my sister's and my brother-in-law's sort of story, I had to like think, well, they met at the college. And so then I had to have a picture of a college and then they moved to South Africa. So then I, so I had to have the list in my head but I think, again, another huge tip for the listeners is nobody knows what you're meant to say. So, so many people, you see them faffing around, go, oh, I wasn't meant to say that or I wasn't meant to do that. Never do that because nobody apart from you knows what you're meant to do. For me, I struggled with the TEDx because it was very, I had to do it in short notice. I didn't leave myself enough notice and it, I didn't, the content was fairly new so I think that's another top tip know your content like the back of your hand so for me now with my content 
I'm really comfortable delivering it. So touch wood, you know, I have spoken um, for the Discovery Channel, I've spoken for Sky, Equifax. Um, I was due to speak at the European Commission in Belgium on uh, the 17th of March, which didn't happen for lockdown reasons. But I think it's just having, what's the purpose? You know, what do you want to get across to them? What, what, do, what do the audience want? Do they want, you know, what do they want to hear? Do they want tips? Do they want hints? Do they want inspiration? Because I think if you know what the audience want, it's sales. You deliver what the customer needs. You know, it's all about getting the event organizers to tell you what the need is for the audience and then you deliver in. But I think the top tip is never, um, never let on. You don't know. You just have to keep going and nobody knows what you're meant to see apart from you. Breathing is huge. And to me, um, it's interesting because I worked with a business coach years ago and she said, so what's your long term goal? What's your plan? And I said, well, I'd really like to faff around being Alice and Edgar and people just pay me a load of money to do that. <laughs> and she, she kind of laughed in my face. Right? She kind of went, ha, 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 ha. No, what do you really want? I said, I really want to faff around, be Alice and Edgar, and people just pay me loads of money to do it. And she said, no, that's not going to happen. But actually, when I'm speaking, what I do is I work with some of the biggest organizations in the world. I turn up for an hour. I be Alice and Edgar, and they pay me a load of money to do it. Boom! I'm hitting my goals. Your business coach was wrong. You, 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 he was wrong. He was so wrong. Do you, do you, I, want to, I want to circle back to something you said much earlier, um, which which I find funny, and you know we'll, we'll we'll dig into it a little bit. But you you sort of alluded to the fact that in some ways in the UK people were a little more soft around their sales skills, right? Um, and I'm curious, not necessarily about UK. I don't want to pick on people. What does soft mean to you, though, when you see that in anybody? Because, look, I could say the same thing about it here, but, um, you know, we, we can certainly reference how the USA took down the UK in our sales challenge, but, and that resonates with us. But what did that mean for you when you said that? Because I want people to understand what soft and strong means in, in, a, in yeah. a positive way. I mean, it's really interesting because I think, uh, you know, if you look at the stereotypical US, and UK culture so there's that whole um I, I feel like I am Scottish so I will put my Scotland card we are maybe slightly different to uh, English people because although I fit under the British um uh flag but a lot of the thing is they're quite polite they're quite reserved they don't like um and again pushy over exuberant as a culture, they're quite a reserved culture, which I would say. But literally, I love the States, right? I feel like if anybody asks me, because I lived in California for a wee while, and I go, actually, I'm a California chick that was born in the wrong place um, because I love all the stuff. I, you know, I, I love the States. I love the, the excitement. I love the whole, and I'm not saying everybody in the US is like Disney, but I love that. I love have a nice day, ma'am. And I love the fact that people, to me, that's genuine customer service that they really, when they say have a nice day, um, they mean have a nice day. That's to me a good thing. Whereas in the UK, they sometimes would see that as being a bit false, a bit fake. You know, they want, you know, more touchy-feely. And again, I'll come back to the, the US versus the UK sales match. 
And like the US guys are like, bash, bam, bam. But it was so fast. Like the answers were quick to the point, you know, it was closing. It was like your old ABC, always be closing. And the UK guys were just a little bit more laid back and, you know, the answers were taking a bit longer to come out. And I think to me, it just, it was a real good example of the different cultures, not just as salespeople, but how people like to be sold to. So again, like if you're selling in the States, you'd go, oh, you know, it is the whole it's a bit pantomime you know like always be closing yeah and you can get away with the quirky lines sometimes the quirky lines in the uk don't work because the, the purchasers are more reserved and it comes back to that adaption and it was interesting to watch the uh, like as an observer of that match i was just loving it from a psychology perspective i was loving it as well so this actually leads to a, a great follow-up question is as someone, you know, U.S. born, U.S. raised, how do we adapt better towards that U.K. market? If we're trying to sell into the U.K. or the European market, you, you've got your hands on the pulse of these different cultures in a different way than we do. What, so I, I heard you sort of say, you know, you know fewer of the one-liners and the quick whips of, of humor. What other advice would you give you know, a sales team that's going to break into the UK about here's what you need to understand culturally. Well, it's inc that's an incredibly interesting um, question, Richard, because one of the things at the moment, I think another thing comes, mm, you know, if you look at female salespeople and male salespeople, I think there's another, another nuance in there. And you've also got the generational salespeople. Um, I spoke at an event, oh, end of last year with Grant Cardone. So Grant Cardone and I were on the same lineup. And it was really interesting because a lot of the young boys, the young whips, you know, new to sales, ah, oh, they worship him and they worship Jordan Belfer. And it's like, you know, you've got two of the most um, uh, arrogant jerks I've ever met in sales. I'll just say it. And I'm generational. So, you know, but I'm okay with saying it. You're saying that and I'm not. But they love them. And, and again, this is where it's quite interesting because if you look, Grant Cardone especially, you know, he brands himself as a sales trainer and he's got his university, obviously. But he's, it's all like from the start, from him, him and, and the picture book family arrive on the stage, you know, he's, he's already pitching his upsell at the end. It's just everything's positioned, NLP'd in for the upsell at the end. And it's really interesting because um, I don't necessarily think that, that's selling from the stage that's a different genre of sales than if you were going to be working with a, a you know a tech company in london who are in the SaaS field i think that's a completely different sales sales technique and i think that's not what what grant cardone or jordan belford do they're going for the standalone sales guys that you know want to be the best that they can be and they don't necessarily follow through in the techniques that they teach them. They take, they sell them the dream, really. They're selling the dream. And I don't, again, believe that's a customer service because I think that's not a reality. I think a lot of the stuff is um, really understanding what the market want. And there are some sales trainers who do manage to come over from the US. If you look at um, Jim Cathcart, he's really well respected and he does a, a good old proper job of um training sales so I, I don't think it's impossible but i think it's again really understanding the market 
I want to <clears throat> go backwards a little bit and see if I get this Scottish phrase right of, you know, just faffing about. Is that the right? Is that the right phrase? Yeah, I love my faffing yeah. around. <laughs> okay. What what advice do you have for people who um, want to just faff around and be themselves and get paid loads of loads of money? And when when did you realize that you needed to work on building your own brand? This is what every you know. This is like the thing right now, right? Like everybody talks about you've got to build your own brand, and there's you know you could talk to ten people, and ten people would tell you ten different ways to do it correctly, right? Like there's people who are very scientific about it. And they're just like, these are the steps you need to take. This is what you need to do. And then there's, you know, other people like where it just seems to have happened and have no strategy, you know, kind of what whatsoever. So what advice would you give people out there right now? You know, maybe sales leaders who are trying to take the next step to go where you are or, or sales people who are already working on building their brand because they want to get paid loads of money to goof around and just be Scott and just be Allison and just be Richard. I think that's a really interesting thing because I think there's, um, you can start to create your own brand, whether you're employed or as an employee or whether you run your own business. So for me, I liken it to, so we have Cadbury is our brand of chocolate. So like where you've got Hershey, we've got Cadbury and the main um, chocolate bar is Cadbury Dairy Milk, right? So they've grown Cadbury Dairy Milk as a brand. And I liken how I created Alison Edgar, the entrepreneur's godmother, to that. So first of all, you know, you look at Cadbury Dairy Milk has got purple chocolate wrapper. So Richard was asking, do you like pink? Well, there's a story about pink. It's not that I don't like it, but I always wear it at work because, you know, when you're in a room of, of people wearing black, why would you blend in when you can stand out? And that's how you create a personal brand is by standing out no matter where you are. Um, also that's, why then, never, oh. that's why I never shave and I wear a hat all the time, by the way. <laughs> so I can yeah, stand but I out. think it, it is, whatever it is. So I will tell you why I wear pink, right? Because it is important. So I was going to Downing Street. So the very first time I was going to meet the Prime Minister's advisors. And it's customary that you take this photograph outside the black door at number 10. And I did the research and again, everybody was wearing black. And I thought, if I'm getting to go to somewhere that most people don't go, I ain't wearing black. So I went to one of the department stores to get a coat that wasn't black. It was December, so it was cold. Anything on black and the only one they had was pink. So that's why the brand was chosen. It wasn't through liking the colour, it was I need to stand out. And I think if you look at the consistency, I mean, we were talking off air about posting on LinkedIn. So the, the message is always consistent. It's always got a sales message. It's always, you know, got a, a powerful back end of why I'm posting it. It's not a sales message. And I just think it is that consistency always showing up, you know, on every medium. So I'm on every social media channel. Um, you know, if I go somewhere, I'm invited to speak at events. When the journey started, it was association to big events that I would speak at. So I spoke at the business show in London and having that drive and that goal. So I knew I was going to speak there come hell or water high, like my superpower, like dyslexicness was going to make me connect and be on that stage. There was no ifs, no, no buts, no maybes. I'm going to do this. I didn't know the timing on it, but it was happening. And I think that's, you know, I call it growing the bricks of your house. You know, these foundations of growing your personal brand is putting a brick in. And 
you know, the person who's the dream boy, the poster boy of having done this is Daniel Disney. And, you know, you look at, he worked in a job, he created the daily sales, he was doing those memes every day. I mean, I think it does help that his name's Daniel Disney. Yeah, I'm not taking it against him, but I think, you know, the fact that name does stand out. So again, for me, I'm known as the entrepreneur's godmother. People know me as the godmother. It's a name that stands out. So I believe that it's possible to do. Dan Disney's a great example of somebody who did it in a job. I've obviously done it with my business, but it's, it's hard work and tenacity and having a really good, strong plan of what you do with your brand and, 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 and being a good brand, being a brand that people want to be associated. It's no different to Apple or Microsoft or, you know, it's, it's getting it right and, and being innovative. You know, I think doing things differently and, you know, I've got online courses, I've got the book, I've got the new book coming out. You're always innovating with your product range so that you've got ways that people can get a hold of you. That's good. Stuff. Have, that's really good. I have, I have a question for you. You know, you, you've mentioned a couple of times, I think I heard you say you met the queen, right? And you've gone to 10 downing and those are high pressure situations, right? And I think what I want to translate it to is, at least here in the United States, our unemployment is crazy right now because of what's going on with COVID. And so I think a lot of people are going into the interviews they're having, feeling like they're walking into 10 Downing, right? Feeling like they're going to meet the king or the queen. How do you handle that pressure? How did you calm yourself down to go, oh my God, this is so exciting. I hope I don't screw it up. <laughs> like, and I think a lot of people feel that sometimes in certain situations. I'd love to hear your approach on that. There is a story about this. So I've never, I didn't meet the, king, the queen face to face. We were in the same environment. She invited me for the tea party, right? So we didn't, like, it's not like we were having a chat like this, but I did go inside Buckingham Palace through the gates where nobody really gets through the gates. And, and I think, I, again, it's really, you, I think, again, it's a bit like sales or anything you do. You're so used to just pedaling away, pedaling away that you don't really think because you're moving on to the next thing. But on the way to Downing Street for the very first time, I was in the taxi and I really then, it hit me. And I, was like, and I phoned my husband and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I'm going here. And he's like, well, you'll be fine. You'll rock it. You'll always rock it. So I go in and you go through security and it's a tiny little street. You know, it looks, you know, I, I was expecting a bit like the White House, you know, the lawns, the space. No, it's really tiny. And I was doing a Christmas market. So the prime minister was there and the chancellor of the exchequer and they put these little Christmas booths up, like, you know, like chalet things. And we were outside. So we hadn't gone into number 10, but we were outside in the street. And I said to the organizer, um, I really need to nip to the loo. And, and I was expecting a porter cabin, right? <laughs> and I'm going, where are they? And she goes, no, you knock on the door at number 10 and they'll let you in. And I'm going, <laughs> yeah, really, I don't know if I can wait much longer. I really need the loo. Can you let me know where I'm going? She went, you knock on the door and they'll let you in. And I'm like, oh, God, I can't wait any longer. So you knock on the door at number 10. It's like literally random. And this man goes, welcome, madam. And you go in. And I think that's when it really hit me. You know, I, I, I was, it's overwhelming. And to bring it back to interviews, and I think it's really, um, it's interesting at the moment because in the UK, we've got a lot of people on furlough, which means that they are still getting paid, um, but they don't have to go to work. And, and again, it's, it's just elong elongating what's going to happen next. We know what's going to happen next. So I think it's, it's, 
are you being the best you? You know, have you, you know, do you look good? Have you made the biggest effort with your appearance? Have you learned all the stuff that you need to know? You know, when they say, you know, what have you done to develop yourself? <laughs> do you say, you know, I've been on Grant Cardone's course. No, do, <laughs> joking, Grant. But do you know, what have you done? Have you gone the extra mile to be the best candidate? And, and do you believe it? You know, because I think imposter syndrome is really high. Because I know when I was like <laughs> in the loo at number 10, I was like, little old me. And again, I was starting to hyperventilate thinking they're going to catch me out. They're going to know that I'm a fraud. I don't think I'm supposed to be here. I think it's somebody else. But you are the person. You are the best. And you should have no doubt in your mind because if you go in there and you falter that you're not the best candidate for the job, you know what's going to happen. It's going to go to someone else. So be the best you and, and show them you're the man or the lady for the job. Can you, can you tell everybody um, for context, like what, what is your core business? What do you specialize in? We've talked about all these things that you're doing, but we haven't even touched on like, what is your core business, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, so what if, what if listening to this and was like, man, I, I really like Allison, but like, I don't even know what the fuck she does. So how could I work with around and getting paid for it. Well, so I've got three strings, three strings to the boat. I carry three brands. So three websites, three brands. So the core business is sales coaching solutions. And that works with teams. So say that you've got a um Oh, I've just been working with a security company. They're actually US based, but they've got an arm in the UK and it's um, wireless security. So what I would normally do in non-COVID situations, I'd travel to their office, I'd do a day on behaviours, I would do a day on sales strategy and I'd do a day on coach the coach to look at their processes. So I, I, in theory, I'm a sales trainer, educator, strategist. Okay. But then there used to be funding in the UK. So the UK would then do half, the government would half pay. I would get full pay, the client would pay half, the government would pay half. So it, it was really good. It was a great revenue stream. Um, but what happened was the government pulled the funding just like literally overnight. And I thought, hang on, the ones that need me most, I know who needs me the most. It's the startups, it's the micros, it's the young businesses. And they're the ones who have got no money. So how can I sustain my business and help the people who need me most? So that's when I wrote Secrets of Successful Sales. So that's the book. That, and again, it was number one in Canada, number one in Australia, the UK. It didn't quite make number one in the US, but we could rectify that because it's on special, $2.99 on Kindle. So listeners could get it on Kindle for $2.99. You have a resurgence in sales now. Yeah, so I'm throwing it back in there. Um, but that's where one of my clients makes gin and he's the naughtiest boy that I've ever met in my life. We nearly got kicked out of New York. We went on a global mission to New York and we nearly got, asked, well, he nearly got asked to leave. I was just with him. Um, and I needed, a, again, coming back to your question about personal branding, Scott, I needed a name that wasn't just Alison Edgar. And I said, look, you know, help me. You're creative. What, what can I, and he said, oh, it's easy. You're the entrepreneur's godmother. And I went, I am the entrepreneur's godmother. Then I Googled what godmother means. And it's a person of influence in someone's business or someone's life. Oh, I am 
the godmother. So that works with your startups, but that's more of a too many model. So it's got online courses um, or I'll do webinars and people will pay to come on the webinar. And then you've got Alison Edgar that faffs around, speaks at big conferences and gets paid a load of money. So that's the three sort of revenue streams. But the core revenue really comes from me going in, uh, you know, face to face as it was. Or again, with the company with the alarms at the moment, I've been doing that via Zoom, an hour a day via Zoom, three days a week for a month. So that's the core. And, and your business is booming right now through all of this. We've, we've been talking about this, Richard and I, with some people in our, in our circles, because a lot of us, I've, like, have, I've, I've never been so busy. Um, <clears throat> I, can't, I can't even get some of my work done because I'm on calls and Zooms constantly and, and you know, knock on wood hopefully it continues um through all through all this but um i'm just i'm just curious why do you think it is that there's such a need for you know your services our services right now right well i i think another this is another cultural thing because um i think i believe that in in the us and north america sales is seen as a profession it's actually you know go sales we're really proud we're in it whereas in the uk sales is dirty it's lazy i hate sales and and because we've had quite a robust economy oh my god i don't have to sell everything just comes through marketing it all comes through recommendation well i tell you what if you're not effing selling now you ain't got no business so to me good sales trainers and good salespeople are as, as popular as hand sanitizer so what hand sanitizer is to hygiene good salespeople are to business so it's our time to shine there's the title of our episode right there <laughs> good sales trainers are just like good hygiene and, and See, I'm getting ready for the girls' challenge. I've got to get my answers out quick and to the Those point. Those are beautiful. So, yeah, let's, let's talk about that for a second. Let's, 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 Scott, do we have a date for the, for the yeah, female? The, the women's event is uh, May 20th, I believe. And uh, the, teams are, the teams are set, and then there's been some promotions going around. Allison's done, done a pretty good job promoting the event. We need the rest of the, uh, the ladies involved to get going. And, and we need some of the guys who contributed or participated in the uh, first event to help out and, and, and share and get the word out. So it should be, it should be loads of fun. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I literally, uh, like I was saying off the air that I, when I was watching it, like it was so fast paced, my hand was in my heart. I was like, Oh, and the UK were waffling on. I'm going cut to the chase, cut to the chase. (laughs) (laughs) If we have, if we have like a, a mixed doubles type event, then I'm, I'm drafting Allison onto my team because she totally, totally gets it already. I totally agree. I would love mixed doubles. Literally. I hope we win so that then we can do mixed doubles because I would love it. This has been this has been a lot of fun, Allison, and and super helpful and informative. Is there anything that we can do to help and uh, and support you? We always try to end the show with, you know, offering to give something back. We know your time is important, and you've been gracious with it with us. You know what? And I think this is part of of growing a personal brand. That I'm I am really honoured. Like when somebody says, "Will you come on the podcast?" or "Will you do this?" I'm like, "Oh yes, please." It's like. I, I, it, you know, 
it feels a wee bit like Ed Sheeran, right? So Ed Sheeran used to play in his bedroom, he would cut his hands, he would play in the streets, and then all of a sudden somebody says, can you come, you know, support my gig? And you just feel like, uh, you know, it's amazing. And you take, I take any opportunity, because I know that eventually I'll be playing Madison Square Garden in Wembley Arena. So I take every opportunity that I can to put my message out there. So um, the book is on um, special in... Um, the US, all in North America for $2.99. It's called Secrets of Successful Sales. It has had amazing reviews. It's got 135 five-star reviews and um, you know people are loving it. All ages, um, male and female, are just really loving Secrets of Successful Sales. So if you want to share the link, that would be amazing. Awesome. Well, like we said, we really enjoyed spending some time with you and getting to know you. And I'll be tuning in for sure on May 20th. And, uh... Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Allison. This has been a lot of fun. I, I walk out of here with like five things. Okay, I got to go do this and I got to go do this. So thank you for sharing your, your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. You're right. And have I converted you to support Team UK now? I'm, I'm going to support well... Team Allison. I'm going to support Team <laughs> There you go. Oh, Ooh, what a political well, I'll answer. take that. I'll take that. No. I can root I, for. An I think. I think Team Allison's going to win it for them. She's already the MVP <laughs> candidate, in my opinion. She's just going to nudge everybody else out of the way and say, "I got this. I got all the answers." <laughs> I'm like, "Hi, Daryl. Just give me the mic." Woo! <laughs> all right, Allison. Take care. Thank you so Thanks, much, Allison. We Thank appreciate you it. so much for allowing me to come on. Thank you.